Well, it's good to be with you here this morning. Uh, it's been a little bit of time. Recognize a lot of familiar faces here. And um, let me just uh, uh, tell you a little bit about our ministry, just kind of fill you in on a few things. And then we'll uh, transition into into a teaching this morning. And uh, uh, many of you know that we were uh, an extension of Hope Bible Church working in Holland, working in the Netherlands. And we're very grateful, very grateful for your prayers and your financial support over the years. And um, uh, for a lot of a lot of reasons, not only personally, but but, uh, you know, I hope you realize this, that your ministry extends beyond Los Angeles and extends into other parts of the world. So it's because of this church and other individuals, some other churches that were able to be in the Netherlands. We originally went to went to Europe in 1978. And uh, so we've been there about 30 years. I'm thinking about making a career of this. Uh, <laughs> but uh, actually, yeah, it, it's been a wonderful, uh, there have been wonderful times and there have been some terrible times, to be quite honest, over the 30 years, the different things we've been involved in. And that's just, that's just part of life, part of ministry. And one of the great things is that we're involved in a very positive time in our lives and ministry, and uh, we're particularly involved in uh, after, well, when we first went to went to uh, Europe, we went to Belgium, we went to French-speaking Belgium, and we were involved there training French-speaking pastors, so I uh, had to learn French and didn't know a word of it, and uh, that was quite a challenge in itself, and then uh, we were involved there for 18 years, involved in planting a church, and uh, actually this church it's very interesting. What you do in this church is very similar to what we did in Belgium. And the, and obviously we guided our church by the word of God, but just the way you do things here, it came out of a lot of how Belgians wanted to do church. For example, uh, I assume you're still doing this, but we just had communion. And do you do this every week? This is abnormal for American churches. In Belgium, it's normal. Uh, so things like things like that. So anyway, we're involved there for 18 years, involved in church planting. And then we moved to Holland about 10 years ago. And uh, people will sometimes ask, well, how is it Holland? You know, you hear all these terrible things and stuff. Well, it's it's about like Los Angeles, you know, in many ways. But one of the ways it's very similar is the ethnic makeup. There are about 175 different ethnic groups in Amsterdam which is a lot like Los Angeles. So we we're very grateful that the Lord uh, brought us there. And uh, the ministry we're involved in, I'll mention a little bit about that, involved at Tyndale Theological Seminary. And the, the Tyndale was a uh, reformer back in the 1500s. I don't know if you know this, but it was against the law in England to have the Bible in English back in the 1500s, only in Latin. And T- William Tyndale... Uh, had the audacity to translate the Bible into English for English-speaking people. And because of that, his life was threatened. And he had to leave England, and and he, he fled England and went to the continent, to Europe, uh, and uh, went to Germany and the Netherlands at the time. And he translated and printed his Bibles there. So the seminary is named after him because our seminary is an English-speaking seminary in the Netherlands. So a little bit of background there. Uh, we're, we're a seminary that we offer as master's degrees. 
there and were only involved in training people for ministry. The students are mature. They're not young students. They probably, most of the age is probably 30 to 40 years old would be average age. And we have some men. We have one man there this year. He's 54 years old. He's an African, and he's there learning Greek and Hebrew and so on. So it's quite challenging for him, but he's doing it. And um, uh, as I mentioned, we're, we're, uh, we're near Amsterdam. Our ministry is in English. Um, the focus of our ministry, we, we call ourselves a, the kind of the motto of the school is focusing on Europe and reaching the world. And so we focus on Europe, but we have students come from around the world. This year, we had all together full and part-time students, 93 students. The, the seminaries in the process are growing. Out of those students, about 30 of them are full-time students, and the other 60, most of those part-timers would be there in the, in the Netherlands. They would be Dutch people taking maybe one class or a few classes. So um, that would be most of them. Uh, the students that we have right now at the seminary, they are from the following countries. Uh, they are from Holland, the Netherlands. Uh, by the way, some people always ask, and it's, it's kind of confusing. The official name of the country is the Netherlands, but people call it Holland, even the Dutch people. And the reason for that, there are provinces in Holland, in, in the, the Netherlands, called Holland. It's like Los Angeles County. Well, it makes up most of the country, uh, these two provinces, North and South Holland, and you have a lot of farms, a lot of industry and so on, and you'll receive a product, and you'll see that here in the United States, you'll see a product that'll say, made in Holland. What that means, it's made in that province. But the Netherlands became to be known as Holland. So that's how that, that that's how that came about. But uh, so we have students from Holland. We have students from Ghana, from Nigeria, uh, from China, from Romania, from India, the, the USA, actually, uh, Cameroon, the Philippines, Pakistan, Liberia, Liberia Ukraine and Serbia. So we have uh, all this this very diverse uh, student body population, just a wonderful environment. And my responsibilities are are there with the other staff is to equip the students for ministry. And the foreign students, they come to Holland and they go back to their countries. They have to do that. It's almost impossible to stay in the Netherlands, and it's a very strict country regarding immigration and so on. It's even difficult for us as Americans to stay there. Uh, but anyway, equipping ministry and my role is primarily equipping in the area of missions and evangelism, uh, practical theology, things related to that. But also another responsibility I have is to supervise them and in their internships. So all the students have to do internships in churches and various ministries. So I supervise them and guide them in that. And then I'm also responsible for our mentoring program. And all of our students have to have a personal mentor. So I'll meet. I'll have a couple students myself. And then I supervise all the others. And they, they meet uh, usually a couple times a month uh, with a mentor, a uh, faculty member, or an outside um, uh, uh, godly uh, individual in the in the uh, country, a pastor or so on. And uh, we have a few women. We don't have a lot of women in our seminary, but we do have a few. And uh, 
they will often meet with the wives. And Kathy was uh, mentoring a young woman. He, she's actually an American who was involved in church planting. And this is why some of the Americans are a seminary. They're, they they come to Europe. They're involved in ministry. But many, uh, quite a few, uh, don't have any theological training. And it usually catches up with them. And this uh, young woman is from Texas, and she was on a church planting team ministering with women. And so she wanted to get some theological education, and so she came to our seminary for a year or so. Uh, she'll be there next year, too. And so Kathy met with her uh, a couple times a month, uh, just helping her. And her, her desire is to go back to France, be involved in ministering to women there in France. So that's just a little idea. Our our goals is our goals there at the seminary are multiply multiply churches. Um, you have in your bulletin uh, there uh, a list of some of the students. Actually, I have a good question for you. Where'd you get that information? Because I've never seen it. Where did you get it? Who got that? Where'd you get that? Our website. Oh, I guess I should look at our website sometime. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know some of that information. So. So that's good. So uh, that tells you how often I look at our own website, you know, twice a year, you know, something like that. But uh, that's a little idea of who some of our students. There's a there's a Chinese girl in there named Karen Wang, and she's actually a pr- pretty new Christian. And the guy following, I looked in there, and his name is Johannes Van Buren. They're actually getting married in about a month. And so that's an unusual thing for the seminary because the students, most of them are actually married. But they were not, and so they're getting married. And she is a, she came from China, and she um, her family is not Christian. She came to know Christ a couple of years ago, and she wanted to go into ministry. So she came to the seminary, met Johannes. Johannes is Dutch, and his goal is to be involved in ministry. And Johannes right now, he's uh, actually working with, uh, he visits prisoners uh, in, in Holland, going to the prisons. That's his internship. And uh, so they'll they'll be uh, that'll be a a great uh, team, shall we say, ministering. And so she'll she'll be there in Holland unless they the Lord sent them somewhere else. But so those are some of our current students, some of the past students. Uh, one of the joys about being involved in this type of ministry is you see what students are doing five and ten years later. And um, uh, so the immediate satisfaction is not immediate. <laughs> Uh, it comes later on. And uh, just to mention a couple of students, uh, one of them is Moses Alagbi. And Moses is from Nigeria. He is one of the rare students who came to Holland to study, and he stayed in Holland. He married a Dutch woman. He's from Nigeria. and But he is the key person in Amsterdam working among immigrants. There are 200 immigrant churches in Amsterdam. And most of them are African. And he's a key leader. He started a Bible school there, a lay Bible school, and he has probably 50, 60 students in it. And he's probably the, the main person as far as immigrant churches and trying to move the immigrant churches to reach Dutch people for Christ. Uh, there's another man named Bronco. Bronco is from Serbia. He's the head of Transworld Radio in Eastern Europe. And so a very important guy. Another former student is Jonathan Campbell. He is um, he's in Jordan, although I just heard last week that he may have moved to Lebanon, but he's working with uh, Muslims uh, in the in the Middle East. He and his wife. 
uh, Vladimir Gorbenko. Vladimir is a uh, we've had a, we've had a Bible school in the Ukraine that has sent people to us to get advanced training, and he's back in the Ukraine and uh, pastoring a church and teaching uh, in the sem- in the Bible school there. And we have actually four or five students from that Bible school who've come to get trained, and they're back there now. I admire him especially because. It's very interesting. I don't know if you know this, but there are 100 to 150 Ukrainian Russian churches in Sacramento. And many of them, uh, this is for me, this is a sad thing. They are pastors who are driving taxis today in Sacramento. Many church leaders have left Russia and Ukraine. He is one of the guys, his family lives in Sacramento, but he believes that God wants him back in the Ukraine. And it's a much more difficult situation, obviously, if you've ever been in that part of the world, you know, you don't have electricity all the time, and it's just a complicated life. And he believes that God wants him there. So he finished seminary, went back to Ukraine, and he's doing a great job there. Uh, we have another man, his name Simo, he's from Finland, and he went back, and he's in charge of all the theological education of the evangelical free churches in Finland, and now he's on the board of Tyndale Theological Seminary. Uh, and so these are just kind of some of the people. One that I keep in particular contact with is Daniel. Daniel is from Romania. Well, Daniel, he decided to go off, and he's a very intelligent guy. He was doing a Ph.D. in chemistry, but dis- became a Christian, decided to leave that and go into ministry, came to Tyndale. Now, where did he go after Tyndale? He went to India. He's up in the northeast of India, married an Indian woman, and he's teaching uh, in a Korean Bible school. Uh, I say Korean because the faculty is Korean and they're training Indians. And hes uh, they've adopted two Indian children. He got married to an Indian and he's translating the Bible. He goes into villages and preaches the gospel. So these are just a little idea of where some of your your finances and resources are going to. So, um, well, let me let me transition into our message this morning and um I don't know if any of you, have any of you ever been in a place where you just didn't want to be there? You just wanted to get get out of there, you know? I don't know, you know, you just, you're just uncomfortable and say, oh, Lord, take me out of this place. Get me out of here, you know? Well, it's happened to me several times. I've probably happened to you several times, too. And I, I was thinking about this message, uh, something I had forgotten about where I'd, I was ready to die and get out of, and I was like 11 years old. And what it was, was my mother, I was 11 years old, my brother was 10, and my mother came to us uh, as boys, and I had a sister, it's four years younger, and uh, she, my mother said to us, you two boys and your sister are going to go to Bozo the Clown show. You know, that, that, this show was in Hollywood, and it was on TV at the time. Back uh, in the in the 50s, it would have been 1957, 50. I grew up here in L.A. Said you're going to go to Hollywood. You're going to the show. Well, as an 11 year old, I was much too cool to be on Bozo. You know, I told my parents, "There's no way I'm going on to this show. This is for five, six, seven year old kids. I'm I'm too cool for this." You know, and uh, my parents. Well, you know who won that battle? And so uh, my brother and I, we went to the Bozo show, and I can remember we, we sat in these bleachers, and we sat in the very back row, and we watched the camera, and every time the camera, would, you know, we're on television, and because if kids in school saw me on the Bozo show, I would just die. <laughs> and so 
Every time the camera came our way, we just began to go like this behind the kids in front of us, you know. So we were hiding, you know. Well, sure enough, we went to school, and uh, they somebody saw us, you know, and it took me about three months to live that down. And, of course, I had to ask them, what were you doing watching the Bozo show? So... Anyway, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Just want to get out of here. And some Christians are that way sometimes. And, um, you know, and it would be good. Um, we, uh, for instance, uh, obviously we want the Lord to remove us from this world, to go to be with the Lord and, and, uh, the rapture. You know, you hear that comment here, here and there. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord just raptured us out of this world? And, um, some of them just, it's not so much to see the Lord. It's just to be escaped from the world, you know. I'm sure we probably all had that feeling here and there. But um, I remember I read um, in 1981 there was a pastor in Tucson, Arizona, who predicted that the rapture, the exact date, his congregation sold all of their goods and they went to a hilltop in Arizona, Tucson area. If you've ever been there, there are a few hills around there. And uh, but you know it didn't happen. And I, I remember in 19, 1988, we came back here to, uh, to the States and I, I was in a, uh, went to a church, church office and uh, one of the men there said to me, well, today's the day, you know. And I said, what day is that? He says, today's the day when we're going to be raptured. And he was kind of making a joke out of it because there was a guy, um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. His name was Edgar Weisnott. And, uh, he predicted within a two to three day span, that the rapture would occur. It was September 11th through the 13th in that area. And he wrote a, he wrote a book and the book was called 88 reasons why the rapture could be in 1988. It sold four and a half million copies, that book. So it tells you people are interested in this and, uh, TBN, uh, that, uh, Christian station, they gave special instructions on how to prepare for the rapture. Well, it didn't quite work out. Uh, in any case, um, we do have some examples of where people wanted to just get out, out of this world. And we have people in the scriptures, too. There are, I can think of three examples where uh, the spiritual leaders wanted to die. So it wasn't the rapture. It was death. Moses was one of them. Moses, at one time, he was, he was before a bunch of whining Israelites and he said to the Lord, this is in Numbers 11:15, please kill me at once, God. He just was, had, had, had been fed up with these people. Lord, take my life. And then there's Elijah. You probably know about the situation with Elijah, Elijah where he was threatened by Jezebel. And he was very fearful. And he said to God, oh, Lord, take my life. And then there was Jonah. Um, uh, Jonah is, uh, you probably know the story about Jonah. God wanted him to send him to the Ninevites. He didn't want to go. He went the other way. Uh, here, here is a missionary. Uh, he's the only missionary that I know who did not want to go minister to the people. He hated the people. That's not a good thing for a missionary to hate the people that you're going to minister to. So he, he said, Oh Lord, you know, get me out of this thing. And he said in Jonah 4, 3, he says, Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For death is better to me than life. So here we are. Uh, we have a number of people, even in the Bible, who wanted to leave this earth. Well, you know what? It's not God's plan for us, for the most part. He, God wants us in this world. And there's a good reason for that. 
And I'd like to talk to you this morning from the book of John, look at a passage from the book of John. But first of all, let me give you a little bit of background from the book of John. Uh, the book of John is a very evangelistic oriented uh, book. And you can, for example, you can see the word believe throughout. And uh, it's a book that people use often in evangelism. We use it in Europe. We get people reading the book of John. Well, in fact, the book itself at the very end of the book, and I'll just read this to you in John, John 17, uh, uh, 20 to 31. It says, but these things have been written, the book of John, these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you may have eternal life. So the book is very evangelistic oriented, and this is where I want to go with this message this morning, is talk about missions, outreach, evangelism. And uh, I don't know how much you know about the book, but um, 33% of the entire book of John takes place in a 24-hour period. 33%, one-third of the book in a 24-hour period. And chapters 13 to 17, the Upper Room Discourse, that's 25% of the book it takes place in the last in the, the last few during a few hours of the of the last supper and um, and this is where we are if you look in your bible at john 13 um, the disciples are in the upper room for the last supper this is a little bit of the background and we see that it says it says it says in john 13:1 now therefore before the feast of the passover so it's the passover it's a thursday evening and Jesus as is at the end of his earthly life. It's the night before his betrayal. He will be will have been crucified within the next 24 hours. So that's how close we're getting to the end there. It's a very somber time, a sober time. And just before they spend these few hours together, he and his disciples, just before he leaves the room or maybe just after, Jesus prays. And that's what we find in John 17. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But, you know, John 17 um, is one of the few prayers where we see a lot of content. Most of Jesus' prayers in Scripture, you don't see a lot of. He'll, he says, you know, uh, bless this, thank the God, thank the Lord for this. That's most of his prayers. But you see, this is the longest prayer of Jesus in John 17. And um, in this passage in John 17, there are five or six different prayers. And um, I'll just mention them to you, and we're going to concentrate on one of them. And the, the first one, it's in John 17, 1. It says, glorify your son. I call this the glory prayer. So here's, here's one prayer request that Jesus prays to glorify his, the, the son so that he may glorify the father, obviously. Then in John 17, 11, if you look at verse 11, you will see another prayer request. It says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. So this is a, yeah, another prayer request. John 17, 17, a well-known one. It says, sanctify them in truth. This is another prayer request. He's saying to purify, to sanctify them. Then there's the oneness prayer, John 17, 21. He prays that they all may be one. There's unity there for the sake of evangelism. And then John 17, 24 is another prayer request where he desires that they be with him. So now I skipped one of the prayer requests. 
And the, the one that I skipped is in, is in uh, John 17, 15. And I want to read with you. Let's read together John 17. Well, actually, we're not going to read it together. I'm going to read it. But do you follow along here, okay? Um, John 17, verses 13 to 18. And this is Jesus praying. He says, but now I came to you, and these things I speak, uh, I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, here's the prayer request in verse 15. He says, I do not ask. So Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So here is where I want to concentrate this morning, especially on verse uh, 15, also uh, verse 18. And to look at some things in here, there's kind of a, a positive, negative side to this prayer. And the first the first aspect, this is in your outline, uh, I call it stay in the world. And uh, this is the negative side of this prayer request. Uh, Jesus, on the one side, uh, is negative. On the other side, he wants him to stay in the world. I guess I'd be negative too, obviously. But he says in John 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. So Jesus is asking the Father to keep the disciples in the world. Now, why is he asking this? That's a question that came to my mind. And it's not clear from the passage, but it might be, it implies that the disciples may have wanted to get out of the world themselves. Because it says in the passage here, it says that they are hated, that they will be hated. And so maybe that's the reason why they wanted to get out of this world. And we know that there was opposition to Jesus. We know that there was opposition to his disciples. And um, basically, Jesus is saying that, you know, one day you'll be with me. In fact, he says that in verse 24. If you look down at verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. But that's not for now. He wants the disciples to be in the world. So he's saying, Father, I'm asking that you don't take these people from this earthly terrestrial world i want you to keep the disciples right here and this expression here not of the world it it occurs six times in this chapter and and also uh, the idea of being out of the world occurs six times in the chapter and also but also in the same chapter he said uses the expression in the world or into the world he uses that four times so you kind of see both ideas here so Jesus himself um, is on his way out of the world, but he wants to keep the disciples in the world. And he goes on here, and he's, so um, in, a, in a spiritual sense, obviously the disciples are out of the world, but in a physical sense, they are to be in the world. And we know that uh, the, we know the disciples had enemies. We know that there was opposition. In fact, the, the ruling leader of the Roman Empire was Domitian at, the, at that time. And he was the, the emperor, the ruling emperor. He believed that he was divinely inspired by a god, the god Jupiter. 
In fact, he also was devoted to a goddess named Minerva, and it's said that he had a statue of Minerva in his bedroom. And so um, he was obviously inspired by the, 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 the demonic here, worshiping other gods. Um, and so he is known for persecuting Jews and for persecuting Christians. And uh, Jesus says in John 17, 14, the world has hated them. So, um, you know, why does the world hate the disciples? Why does the world hate the disciples? Well, if you look in verse 16, he says, Jesus says, they are not of this world. Uh, they don't belong to this world. And it's interesting, the, the words there, they are not of this world. If you look up in a Greek Bible or have an interlinear Bible, uh, the words are actually reversed in the Greek text. And literally in the Greek text, it says, of the world, they are not. But in the most English translations, it says they are not of the world. Well, when Greek words are kind of jumbled or reversed, what it means is that the writers were giving emphasis or stress to this. So they were stressing the idea that the disciples, uh, they just don't belong to this world. They're not of this world. Um, now, um, you know, how can they be not of the world? Obviously, they were born in the world. Physically, they were there. But spiritually, they were not. So they, they were not to be integrated into the world spiritually, but they were to be physically present. And he goes on in the reference, he says, even as I am not of the world. So Jesus says, not only are the disciples not of the world, but I'm not of this world also. So this he's saying that this is not my true place. This is not my true home. I really don't belong here. And um, so the, the disciples are hated by the world especially because they belong to Jesus Christ. You know, if you truly belong to Jesus Christ and you identify with Jesus Christ, it's almost impossible to avoid some type of hatred. It's almost impossible. You know, uh, in time it will find you out. And if there is not, uh, you know, discomfort with you, or whatever, maybe that's an indication that our testimony is not quite very strong, or we really haven't identified enough with Jesus Christ. So we have to be really careful about that. In any case, society, uh, the world is controlled by Satan. It's an opposition, opposition. And um, but looking at the in your notes there, I put a point B there. It says, how have world, how have Christians often handled this contact with the world? Basically, they've done it in three three ways. One is they have physically separated themselves from the world, and we know this from like monasteries, uh, Roman Catholic monasteries, and other other different groups have separated from the world. However, let me tell you that not all all Roman Catholic monasteries are separatists. The Celtic monks, uh, Celtic monastic movement, was set up as a mis- as missionary movement actually, and that's how the original evangelization of Europe occurred. But in any case, some Christians have isolated themselves in some commune, for example. Secondly, some have socially isolated themselves from the world, and they've created kind of a social, uh, a Christian bubble, you know, where they have no contact with the world at all. They try to stay away from all non-Christians, and they've isolated themselves socially. And, uh, uh, you know, this is a dangerous thing for a Christian also on the other side. 
because um, uh, how are you going to reach the world if you've socially isolated yourself from the world? And so um, even, you know, I've seen here in the United States, there are Christian yellow pages. You know, I, I don't know how you view that. I view that as a very sad thing. If I have to hunt for a Christian doctor or a Christian mechanic or whatever, you know, I, I want to go to the non-Christian mechanic. I want to go to the non-Christian doctor, you know, uh, just for the sake of, of outreach. Now, I know there are circumstances here or there where a uh, question of honesty and, and things like that, so that does help. But there are a lot of people I know in Southern California who, who say they're Christians. In fact, I was involved at one time years ago as I, uh, one of the jobs I had before I went to the field, I, I uh, worked laying linoleum. Uh, it was a, a job I had. Don't ever ask me to lay linoleum. I'll destroy your house. But uh, uh, I worked with a guy, and, and, and a guy I worked with was a Christian. And we would go into these shops, carpeting, linoleum shops to pick up stuff. And he says, watch this. And my friend was a Christian. We'd go in, and he had a big fish on his front window, you know. And, uh, you know, to get, and it's, the idea was to get Christian clientele. Well, um, and, and my friend and I, he was new there, but he says, he does not really know that I'm a Christian. And this guy, we went in there, he was one of the most foul mouthed guys. And he was telling dirty jokes and all kinds of stuff, you know. But, uh, he had this on there so he could get clientele. You know, he was in the Christian yellow pages. So, you know, we can't even trust that type of thing. So, any case, we have to be really careful about this. And we can do it unconsciously where we spend so much time with Christians, we don't with, uh, we don't spend any time with non-Christians. Kathy and I, here we are missionaries in Belgium. I go to, to a Bible school to, to teach, uh, Christians. We go to a church on Sunday morning. We go to a Bible study. We have fellowship with Christians, and we realized at one time in our life, we hardly have any time on talk, contact with non-Christians. Here we are, missionaries, and we had to make a decision to stop spending so much time with Christians. And so what we did is uh, uh, we still went to church. We still went to our Bible study group, but we decided to not uh, invite a lot of Christians to our house anymore. We decided to invite non-Christians to our house. And it wasn't a big thing. It was like two Fridays a month where we began, we decided to spend time with non-Christians, have people for dinner and so on. The reason was is because we found ourselves, even as missionaries, isolating ourselves from the people in our, in our town, the non-Christians there because we were involved in training Christians. So it's easy to fall into, especially a person like me. Um, but, you know, this is not the mandate in the New Testament. The New Testament, Jesus says, don't take them out of the world. I need these guys right here in the world. I need them here uh, because he has a lot larger plan. Um, now, the third way that some of the Christians have handled the world is that they've compromised with the world. And this is, a, this is a, obviously a dangerous thing. They've accepted the values of the world, materialism, for example, Sexual immorality, this is a terrible problem in the Netherlands. Terrible problem with Christians. You go to many Christ churches in Holland and you will find couples uh, living together. They're professing Christians. They're living together. Some of them have families. They have two, three, four children. They've been living together for 15 years. 
And uh, the churches have just closed their eyes to this. But you see, these Christians, there it's like I say, it's very subtle. And and it's destroying the churches in Holland. It's destroying because the, these Christians have accepted and adopted the values of the Dutch Christian world that's carried over into the churches. And they have not been distinctive. So this is the way, one one way that Christians have handled this thing with the world is they have not become distinctive enough and let people know that they identify and want to follow Jesus Christ. And it's very clear with many, not just in that area, but materialism and other areas also, their love for Jesus Christ is not strong enough. Their love for other people is stronger. I hate to say that. So so that's a dangerous position to be in, and it's very subtle. You usually don't recognize it unless you examine your life. Because what Christians will say, and I've had many conversations with them, uh, some conversations with them, saying, well, you know, everybody's doing this. You know, that type of thing, that mentality. So it's a dangerous thing. Well, um, earth is a temporary residence. And, um, you know, that's not the plan. In fact, when you look at the scriptures... There are certain words described of Christians. It never talks of us in scriptures of being permanent residents, but it talks of, of us of being aliens, of being pilgrims, of being foreigners, of being strangers, of being visitors. Those are the words that's described of Christians in the scriptures. So we're here in this world. We're physically here. Uh, we identify with Jesus Christ, um, but this is not our permanent home. It's not a permanent. We're just passing through this place, and 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 hopefully that will um, uh, grab your heart and understand that. So um, anyway, that that's kind of the first idea is that Jesus is asking uh, asking the Father not to take them out of the world, to stay in the world. Secondly, he's saying in a way to stay away from Satan. Notice the second part of that verse. He says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Now, this keep concept here, basically all it means is to watch over, to guard, to preserve. So he's saying, Father, keep them in the world, but please watch over them. And please watch over them and to keep them safe. And from who? The evil one. Now, the, the word there uh, for actually in the Greek, it says to keep them from evil. The word evil one is not in the Greek language, but the context it fits that context. Um, and so it actually literally can be translated to keep them from evil or keep them from the evil one. And But I think the context is referring to Satan here because in the Upper Room Discourse, he talked about Judas and so on, and Satan had entered Judas, and there are several different passages to to refer to Satan uh, in that in that context. And then there's a reference very similar to this in 1 John 5:18. It says, um, "He God who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him." So the idea um, is to be kept. I believe it's to be kept from the evil one, and. Um, this is a similar idea if you go back to John 17:11 if you look at that it says they themselves are in the world holy father keep them in your name keep them in your in your name while i was with them i was keeping them in your name 
So the idea keep is very prominent. And we have something. You, you're, the the uh, Sermon on the Mount, there's the passage in Matthew 16, 13, says, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, or deliver us from evil. It's the same Greek word there. So um, in any case, he's asking, what is he asking God? He's asking that Satan uh does, so that he, Satan does not get his clutches on the disciples to protect them, to guard them, and to keep them from the evil one. Why? Because he has a plan, and it's Satan's goal to destroy believers in very subtle ways. That's his, that's his goal. He's out to destroy believers. And so he's trying to keep, he wants to keep them uh, from the evil one. But let me tell you this. I don't think he's saying that to keep them from trials and tribulations. Because when you look at the same passage in John 16, he says in here, he says, he's talking to the disciples in John 16, he says, these things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling and they will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you. So he's not telling them to protect them from trials and tribulations and sufferings. What he's saying What I believe he's saying here is that he's trying to keep them from the clutches of Satan, that they remain in purpose of what God wants to carry out in this world. Because that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to divert us from his purposes, from his will. And he does that in different ways. So he's he the evil one, so that the evil one cannot snatch the disciples away from God's purposes which is the evangelization of the world. Now, let me say this, that one of the ways that Satan diverts us from his purposes is is uh, he works on the mind. Uh, he he I, I believe that he sows thoughts in the minds of people. And I base this on the scriptures because in John 13, 2, it, Satan had put into the heart or the mind of Judas to protect betray Jesus. In Acts 5, it says, Satan filled the heart or the mind of Ananias to lie to the Holy Spirit. So Satan, one of the ways that Satan works is he he works on the mind. He works on the mind, and that's how he destroys people. There's There's a story was told that the devil was one day was going to go out of business, and he decided to sell all of his weapons. So he was like a garage sale, you see. And uh, so he put out all of his weapons there, and he he put you know malice out there, put a price tag on it, put hatred out there, put a price tag on that, envy, jealousy, uh, sexual immorality, sensuality, deceit. Put 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 a little sticker on all these little weapons out there, and um, so every tool was marked with a price. But there was there was one weapon that the, had the highest price. It was ridiculous for a garage sale. And um, a, a person came in, a potential buyer, and said, why is this weapon? It's discouragement. Why is there such a high price on discouragement? It's way beyond all the others. And this is what Satan said to the, <clears throat> to the potential buyer. He said... Uh, he says, because uh, discouragement is more useful to me to, than any of the others. You see, with it, I can pry open 
and get inside a man's mind, uh, bring him down, divert him from the kingdom of God. It is so worn because I use it with nearly everybody. And and so the that's it. He you know Satan still owns it. He was never able to sell it, by the way, and he's still using it in the lives of the lives of people. So uh, and it's easy. It's easy to get discouraged. I could I could stand here for an hour or two telling you about all the discouragements that we've had uh, for 30 years. Let me let me do that. No, I'm, I, won't, I won't do that. So but that's just part of life. It's just a normal part of life, isn't discouragements. With uh, family, children, ministry, uh, people, uh, jobs. I mean, it's just part of life. And Satan can really work on us and bring great discouragement in this way. Well, the idea of Jesus, he's saying, I need these guys. I want these guys in the world, but I want you to protect them. Please protect them, that they're not diverted from these purposes and, um, and, and so on. So here we have these two requests. Kind of summarized to keep them from the from um, uh, keep the disciples in the world and to keep them from the evil one. Well, the last thing here, stay on a mission. You know, I believe that this is the purpose of this prayer. He's praying this so that the disciples stay on this mission uh, to to continue to work in their lives. And I believe this is the purpose that God has for church. He has for Hope Bible Church is to stay on their mission, and he, he because we are sent in the, into the world. Notice verse 18. It says, "As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world." The the purpose of this prayer is is definitely missions, and as you look at this here, you can you can see this idea uh, throughout. Um, and this is the responsibility that all of us have, is, is Jesus wants to keep us here for now and to carry out our mission, to carry out a responsibility to evangelize the world. And we all have this responsibility. So um, I was, uh, uh, several years ago, I met a man, a Korean man who was in, who was in Holland. And this Korean man was, um, uh, I asked him, so, how are you in Holland? He says, you know, I was sitting in my church in Korea, and the pastor said, how many of you have been in this church for more than 10 years? He says, I raised my hand. And the pastor said, get out of here. What are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. You've been here 10 years. You should be out in the world evangelizing the world. You should be out there. So he said, you know, I thought about that. I prayed about that. And he said, you know, I decide to leave Korea. And I left Korea, and I came to Holland. I started a business to reach Dutch people for Jesus Christ. So I moved his whole family there, and uh, because a pastor told me get out of town, and so and he was there working, had a business, evangelizing Dutch people. And he he had a concept of what is meant by by uh, being in this world and carrying out this mission. Um, by the way, you know, wouldn't it wouldn't it be great? Um, well, you know, I've thought, have you ever thought about the question, why are we saved? Why doesn't God save us and just take us directly to heaven? Wouldn't that be a better deal? Uh, you know, have you ever thought about that? I've thought about that. Well, you know, um, I, w- I would be for that. You know, in heaven we get to fellowship with God. 
and uh, see him face to face, and we see our loved ones who know him, uh, you know, uh, there. We get to enjoy the presence of God. But as far as I know, as far as I know, there are two things that you cannot do in heaven, that you can do on earth. One of them is sin. I don't think that goes on in heaven. And the other one is to reach people for Jesus Christ. And I think that God left us here to reach people for Jesus Christ. So, not here to sin, though. Okay? So, let's, let's clarify that. Um, well, uh, so we, we have a mission on earth, and we are to bear witness. Um, there's a, uh, and the church is to understand us. The church is to carry out mission. We are to work towards the completion of his mission. Uh, a quote, uh, person, one person said, we are his multiplied hands. He's talking about Jesus. We are his multiplied hands, his feet, his voice, and his compassionate heart. John 15, 26 to 27 says, when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will, he will bear witness to me, <clears throat> excuse me, and you will bear witness also. You will bear witness also. He's talking about the disciples, and obviously he's relating to us. So what it really means, the, the, the essence, the, the DNA of the church is outreach. It is mission. And I put in your notes um, what it means to be a missionary church. It means that believers must identify with Jesus Christ in his life. That when people see our life, do they see Jesus? And, and, and are we distinctive enough that the, in such a way that we want to draw them to Jesus Christ? It means that believers need to identify with people without compromising the gospel. This is essential. This is essential. Otherwise, the witness is lost. And to live a holy life before him. It means that believers must provide a real and abiding presence in the world. In the world. Fourthly, it means that every disciple of Christ should see himself as one who is sent in the world. Do you see yourself as being sent into the world? That's why you're here. God left you here to be sent in the world and to reach out to those people around you. It means that there should be a sending impulse in the local church, not an attractional impulse. I think this is a problem of many churches, especially American churches, frankly, is that they're trying to attract people uh, into the church. Well, the design is to go out into the world and, 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 and witness to those people. It's a sending impulse. It's not an, attra uh, uh, an attractional impulse. And, um, you know, you can do this with the your neighbors uh, here. You can do it with others. Uh, you know, uh, Americans living here, you can do it with uh, others such as the um, in Los Angeles, all the different nationalities, ethnic groups. You know, I was I was told a while back that there are 660,000 international students here in the United States studying. And if I have my statistic right, do you know how many of those people who are here for four or five years ever enter an American home? 20%. 80% of them never see the inside of an American home here. Well, we're missing a great opportunity for outreach uh, with, these, with these individuals. So um, the church has, has, um, 
has responsibilities regarding this. And some churches have caught on to it. One of the churches that's caught on to it is the Chinese church. Have you ever heard of the Back to Jerusalem movement? Back to Jerusalem movement. I, I'm just learning about this movement. But they, the Chinese Christians believe that uh, they've learned how to work and prosper even in the hostile environment. And they believe that God has has saved them to reach Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus. And they're trying to bring the gospel back to Jerusalem. They believe that the gospel is circling the world, and now they need to take it from China back to Jerusalem. And this is what one of the Chinese leaders said. He says, there is little that any of the Muslim, Buddhist, or Hindu countries can do to us that we haven't already experienced in China. He says, it, it isn't, isn't it amazing? It's amazing to me that God is sovereignly, they believe, they prepared them through all the persecution, all the suffering that they've gone through the last 50 years just to prepare them for reaching these people. And so they are definitely a, a missionary church. So unfortunately, many of the churches in America have lost their, their character of sentness. Um, the Bible says to seek the lost, but our churches say, let the lost seek the church. You see, that's not what the scripture says. And we are to be, build a bridge out to the world, not for the people to cross over the bridge back into the church. Obviously, eventually, hopefully that will happen. But the idea is for us to cross over that bridge into the world, but remaining distinctive. And so Jesus sent us into the world to do that. Just as we, just as we end, in your notes, if you would look at your notes there, um, <clears throat> I have some practical suggestions. And I wrote all these down here because I thought I'd probably never get to it. And so, and that's the case. Uh, so um, what I would like you to do, I mean, just think over some of these things, but identify your mission field. Who, who are your neighbors? Do you know your neighbors? Um, who are the people you work with? Who are your close friends? Who are the people in your family? And they're, they're, um, there are ideas there that I encourage you to read and to look at. Um, I heard a uh, speaker, Ravi uh, Zacharias, say a while back, I was at a conference in him, he said the most effective witness is a morally righteous Christian who cares about other people. A morally righteous Christian who cares about other people. And so here there are just lots of opportunities, lots of things. Kathy and I are, are uh, maybe during our, our time afterwards, tell you about some of the experiences that we've had recently in this last year, trying to reach our own neighbors. And um, uh, it's, it's, it's really been a challenge. But there are some of the things, just two things that I recommend to you, is, is really talk to as many, get to know people, try to talk to them. I'm an introvert, you, you may not Think that, standing up here. It took me years and years just to be able to talk publicly before people. But I'm an introvert by nature. You know, If I go to a doctor's office, am I going to talk to the other people about their diseases and stuff sitting in the office? No, I will not say a thing. I'm not the guy in line at Ralph's who talks to the, oh, what are you buying, you know, whatever. I'm the person who doesn't talk to people, but I found that God can uh, work through me and so... I try to talk to everybody. I, I live 367 steps from seminary. Well, I actually see people on the way. 
and uh, we're, we're paying $10.20 for gas. But, you know, it, I don't like to drive 100, 100 meters anyway. But uh, in any case, I try to, talk to, tr try to talk to people. But one of the recommendations is when you talk to people in time, bring up something and watch their reaction. Like, share something like, you know, God really answered a prayer request for me, you know. Or I go to the, go to this really nice church, and watch the reaction of the people. They may respond, and if they respond, it may be an open door. If they respond neutrally or negatively, I recently said to one of our neighbors, who his wife was in the hospital, potentially dying, and I said to him, "I will pray for you. I will pray for your wife." And you know what he said to me? So how's the weather been for you? I've, I've, I've said that to many people in my life, and usually when I say something to people, I'm going to pray for you or this situation, they appreciate it. These are non-Christians I'm talking about. He didn't have slightest of, of going any more on that one. So that told me I don't need to go any more with him right now. God needs to work in his heart. And and just I put down a bunch of questions here. So anyway, that's my, my challenge for you. Is to is to um, think about this. Think about your neighbors. I really suggest that you look at that list. Go home, think about it, pray about it, and say, "What can I do to reach those people that I know?" And it may not be the neighbors. It may be joining a club or something. Uh, you know, maybe something like that. Just with the idea of just reaching out to people. So let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, once again that we can meet together. We pray, Lord, that we, we would never take this for granted, Father. We also want to thank you for your instruction here, even though it's just a, well, it's a prayer here, uh, intimate prayer between uh, you and your son. Lord, we, we pray that we would learn from it and uh, accept our responsibilities to reach out to other people, but also to be very distinctive and not compromise what we believe and what we think and that we would show our love for you that's much more important even for our love for other people, Father. So we ask, God, that you would uh, work in our lives, work in the lives of each person here in this room. Help us to reach out to others, Father, and you work through us. We thank you in Jesus' name.